Hi everyone and a big welcome, a massive welcome to the On the Road to Better Business Small Business Podcast. My name is David Cleverly and I'm a professional video producer and small business owner and along with my professional associates we'll be talking all things small business from personal development right through to having your business not only survive but thrive. And if it has to do with small business you'll find it here on the On the Road to Better Business Podcast. So I'm really glad to have you along. It's fantastic that you're here, and we hope you subscribe to us and follow us on this incredible journey. Now, I have to say there's a bit of a backstory here. This is our first episode, but what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be pulling in a bit of content from previous videos and audio clips that I've recorded and have not yet published. So there's some uh, there's some pretty good content there that I'm absolutely positive that you're going to enjoy. Now, the backstory is is that uh, when I started my career some 30 years ago, I guess you could actually say that I started my career much much earlier than that. I remember when I was a young boy, my father who used to be a wood machinist at Tugra on the central coast of New South Wales, he bought me home a little red plasticky Panasonic cassette recorder and I didn't know then but that moment absolutely changed my life. I found an incredible load of fun recording things and I used to record absolutely everything. I used to record birthdays, Christmas days, everything that happened at our house and even if we went away on holidays I used to record it on this little cassette recorder. Fast forward a few years and I found a great interest in video because I realized wow this is pretty awesome. Not only can I record audio, but I can also record pictures in color. Friends of ours had an old movie camera that they used to uh, bring around every now and then when we had family get-togethers, and that fascinated me. But there was no audio with that. Um, It was silent 8mm movie film. But then, of course, video was available and even though it was pretty expensive and pretty basic and the pictures weren't that great it was still color video and it had audio so boy I was in my element when I um, I remember I think I got my first credit card and bought this video camera it was a um, Sanyo Betamax system we had a separate camera and porter pack or recording pack and it was a horrible bulky thing but anyway it started my career And for those of you who may be interested, a chance capturing of a furniture warehouse fire in Erina in 1989 turned me in the direction of television news. And I filmed that fire with my then old, I think it was a Panasonic M7 VHS video camera, sold it to MBN News in Newcastle for $50. And so began my television news career. I've been a freelance television cameraman ever since working for networks around the country and also across the world. So that's my story. And of course, uh, video production has been my thing uh, since the late 80s, early 90s. I uh, bought my own professional broadcast video equipment in 1992, I think it was. And my career just took off from there. So it's been an amazing story since then. I've been to some great places, seen some amazing things, seen some not so pleasant things, I have to say. But uh, that career continues today along with my video production interests, uh, corporate video, online video, and so forth. So I guess I'm finding this whole podcast thing a bit of a deja vu situation because here I was in the 70s and more likely the 80s. It would have been the 80s. Here I was in the 1980s recording to the dismay of my friends and family 
everything that happened at our house and on holidays. Wherever we were, I took this little red Panasonic uh, cassette recorder with me and recorded absolutely everything. I've still got audio cassettes going back to about, I think, 1981, I think, maybe earlier. But uh, so it's sort of gone full circle, if you see what I mean. I've gone from starting my career with audio cassettes and here we are now doing not only video, but audio as well, recording podcasts on a computer in my home and creating amazing content. And it's almost like just the modern version of what I used to do back then. So I have to say I'm pretty chuffed by that. When I realized that it's kind of gone full circle, I got so excited again because I loved the whole thing around audio because you can listen to it in the car, you can listen to it when you're exercising, you can listen to it when you're out walking, riding the bike, anytime you can listen to audio. I love video, I will always be producing video, but the thing is with video, of course, is you have to watch it. So you can't do that in the car, you can't really do that when you're exercising, unless there's a you know, TV screen on the wall of your local gym. But uh, yeah, so here we are some 30, 40 years later recording just audio and that really blows my mind. So anyway, I'll stop raving about that. So today things are so much different for businesses. If you're a business owner out there, you will know that, you know, marketing has changed. And one of the things that I realized that I had to do, you know, in the days, uh, back in the day, we used to advertise in the yellow pages and you'd advertise on radio and in the newspaper, but things have changed. Those, um, those formats don't have the same impact what they used to. I mean, there's still a place for it. There's no doubt about it, but it's, uh, it's certainly changed and it's now up to ourselves really to um, create regular fresh content that brings in new clients and we have to do that regularly. So there's a new set of skills that we all have to learn. I have to do it. I'm learning all the time and my customers have to do it as well and that's what I help them with along with my professional associates. I've got a great, great group of people around me that assist with helping my customers grow their business and succeed. So we'll be talking to them along the way. So I hope you find this series exciting. I certainly do. We're going we're gonna to have some great guests on the show. And we're going to start off, first of all, though, with a few older clips that I've already produced and we'll play those for you as the first few series of podcasts and then we'll get into some newer content. All of the older stuff is still relevant. There's some great information there, fantastic information from people that are already in small business and professionals that help small businesses succeed doing what they do best. So anyway, once again, my name's David Cleverly. I am so pleased to have you here and look forward to catching up. If you have any questions whatsoever, please feel free to send me an email. Send it to david at digicrew, that's D-I-G-I-C-R-E-W dot com dot A-U, and I'll only be too happy to respond to that when I can. So any questions whatsoever, if you're struggling with your online business, if you want to try some new marketing techniques, or you just need some support with your business, some help and advice, by all means, send me an email or give me a call on the phone number in the show notes. And please remember too that uh, any links or information that we might share in the videos and the podcasts, we will also put in the show notes so you can look at those uh, later on when you get the chance. Okay, so let's get the ball rolling. First of all, our first podcast is going to be a recording that I did with a wonderful friend of ours from Main Creek, which is just out of Dungog. I have to say, I 
discovered Main Creek when I was working for Channel 10 back about 2004, 2005, I think it was, because my son Jack was was not born yet, but my wife Michelle was pregnant with him. And I remember I went up there to do a story on a rare, unusual and rare glowing fungi that this lady that you're about to listen to, Ros Runciman, had discovered in all its glory, growing and glowing along some of the creek banks in this incredible rainforest that uh, is nearby to their home. Her story was in, I think, the Newcastle Herald. I saw the story and proposed to Channel 10 that it would be a good picture story. And that's uh, the, the, the rest with Roz and Dungog for me is history because um, it's uh, that, that one story, although the story itself wasn't successful because the fungi wasn't glowing when I got up there. But Roz and her husband Kev owned and operated a business in Main Creek called Uranda at Barrington Tops. And Uranda is a group of beautiful stone and timber cottages that Ros and Kev were living at and operating. And when once we went there, Michelle and I just fell in love with the place and decided that we would make it a regular place for us to go to for holidays. And that's where we've been going ever since. So for 14 years now, we've been going uh, when we can up to Dungog, Main Creek, to stay at Uranda. But our family actually uh, ended up getting a bit too big for the cottages, so we can no longer stay there. But we stay at another place now called Retreat to Main Creek. And that's another story for another day. That's also an awesome place that you can take your family and stay at. We'll, We'll chat to the owner of Retreat to Main Creek, Marion Stewart, who's become another fantastic friend of ours. We'll chat with Marion another time about her business and how that all runs and operates. So we're going to start off the podcasts with an interesting yarn with Roz Runciman, who uh, used to operate Uranda at Barrington Tops. She still owns it, but her son David now operates it. And But Roz has some fantastic information, not only for those wanting to get into a business in the tourism industry, but there's information in this uh, interview that is relevant to small businesses everywhere. So I hope you enjoy it. This is podcast number one on On the Road to Better Business and you're listening to Ros Runciman of Main Creek of Uranda at Barrington Tops. Over to my interview with Ros. I hope you enjoy it. speaking with Roz Runciman of Uranda at Barrington Tops, which is just outside of Dungog in New South Wales. It's a beautiful place that I bring the family to on a regular basis, and Roz has been kind enough to give us her time and having a bit of a chat about what it would be like to have your own business in the tourism industry. Roz, we've been coming to your place for a few years now, and I know you've got many, many other people that visit you here at Uranda throughout the year. Everyone, I've read your uh, little comment books from the, uh, the cabins that we've stayed at, and everyone seems to just rave about this place. Tell us a little bit about Uranda and how you got to be here. 
Um, you're wondering where Uranda is actually situated. We're 17 kilometres, basically north from Dungog. Dungog itself is a small rural town, almost famous now for its Dungog Film Festival. It's an annual event now. It used to be a very big dairy and timber area. Uranda itself is on dirt road. It's got three kilometres of dirt road from where the bitumen ends. It adjoins Chichester State Forest on its northern boundary. We look across to Nature Reserve of the Bolga Range and not very far up the road is uh, more Nature Reserve and then on into National Park. The property itself is two titles. Skimmings Gap Road actually dissects the two titles and we're exactly 205 kilometres from the start of the F3 at Warunga. Paint us a picture about Uranda as far as what people can expect to find. Actually the bird life at Uranda is quite phenomenal. There's an indication that we're almost at the cutoff point for the migratory birds. Consequently in summer one of our common resident birds then is the white-throated nightjar and then as it gets cooler it disappears. Scarlet honey eaters they arrive early in October. There's a lot of birds that that are migratory birds and whether they go much further south or not I'm not sure but I, I'm led to believe that's not the case that they're this is about as far south as they go. Botanically some fabulous things some wonderful I mentioned the grey uh, large-fruited grey gum but wonderful ground orchids and um, and also arboreal orchids. The thing that probably got to me the most when we moved here from Victoria was whilst I come from a nature-loving family and there were some wonderful things where close to where I lived. The biodiversity here is just so much greater. Obviously then if you go further north to Queensland where our elder son lives um, just out from Brisbane, more insects, more more bird life. Um, obviously the climate and the, the geographical position um, alters this. But here I, I'm amazed at the number of reptiles and mammals and birds that we've got here. I mean reptiles to me, you know, there's, there's no need to be afraid of a snake. I mean, if the walking tracks are clear and you keep your eyes open, you're not going to tread on a snake. If you go poking around where you shouldn't, well, maybe you will. But mammals, fabulous lot of mammals. Even palmer wallabies have been seen here, koala, bandicoots. They're working at the moment like they're excavating the lawns. Red-necked wallabies down at Noonamina. In fact, only five kilometres away, there's eastern grey kangaroos, but no kangaroos up here. It's too bushy. Climate-wise, it's interesting too that around the cottages in the house, we've got, it's very heavily treed. We've never Never recorded anything below 3C so we don't get frosts here. Not a lot of wind because it's protected by the, the amount of trees and the side of the embankment that sort of thing. Rainfall well what can we say we're going through a very heavy lot of rain at the moment but annual rainfall we were told when we first moved here you could rely on 60 inches of rainfall for here Dungog itself, 17 kilometres away, is about 40 inches. I'd say for the 20 years I've kept the records, we're probably looking about 55, 57 inches of rain a year, which is a pretty good amount. But you're not going to have rainforest if you don't have rain, so it mm. stands to reason. The climate, it is fairly mild and... You know, I'd have to say that it's certainly not a harsh climate by any means. Just give us a visualisation. If we walked out the back there now and had a look out, or even in Pimbari where we're staying at the moment, someone goes out there, what, what will you see if you look out? What sort You'd of be seeing a lot of trees, lots and lots of trees. Now, the, um, the main species are ironbark, both red and grey ironbark, forest red gum, casuarinas. Now, the casuarinas we've got here, or rose she-oak, which is known as aloe casuarina torulosa, is the food source for the glossy black cockatoo. Now, where we are positioned versus down in the valley, 
where Karawiri is, where we first stayed, Vicky and John Lloyd don't have any of those casuarinas down there. Consequently, they don't get the visits from the glossy black cockatoos. We also have uh, yellow-tailed black cockatoos come as well, but they're meat eaters. They eat the grubs out of the wattles. The other scrub or trees you're likely to see are white mahogany, which is actually what we've used as poles in our house because it's a termite-resistant wood. Also, apple, locally known as apple, which are... um, now the name's going to elude me so that wasn't very clever lots of wattles then rainforest species you've got uh, uh, the rainforest species that are quite common along the creek fronts and that sort of thing so if you look out from Pindari for example you'll look out through those trees mm-hmm. and you can there's even a gap there that everyone comments about how you can look to the that ranges that little gap and... is um, we refer to it as the window that we've actually kept sort of pruned out and that's looking right through to Dixie's top which is right up into the into the Barringtons certainly never any snow here well I've made mention of no frost so you're not going to get any snow. Our, our elevation is not high enough to get snow. Further up into the into the tops obviously there's snow and uh, that's what some people go to look for. We came here from Victoria on a holiday back in 1987. We stayed at Karawiri Cabins, most magical spot down in the valley in Main Creek. Karawiri Creek itself runs right through the middle of Main Creek down and joins the Williams River. We were entranced by the place. Wonderful big tall Sydney blue gums, marvellous climate. That's what attracted us most. We were from Victoria and it was cold in the middle of winter and here we're able to walk around with t-shirt and almost shorts and enjoyed the um, beautiful climate and wondered about the opportunities that might be around to purchase land in the area which in due course we were able to do and we purchased our 140 acres on Skimmings Gap Road up from the old Gams Mill site and this 140 acres once was part of the Gam estate, a very large holding. And we moved here permanently from Victoria in 1990 and embarked on a very ambitious owner-builder project of building our own home. It's an octagonal house with rock and timber walls, mezzanine level inside. Just a very ambitious project indeed. We did most of that ourselves and during the process the thought occurred to us, although it had been pointed out by the owners of Karawiri that they were often turning people away and why didn't we build a little cabin? I don't know if they regret having said that to us because we indeed did do that. In 1994 we moved into our house. In 1996 we completed the first cottage, Kalimna. 97, we completed the second cottage, Pindari. And then in 2000, Kevin having had a little bit of a break to get over a triple bypass, we opened Elura, the third and final cottage. So that's a bit of an outline of how the cottages came to be. And from then on, from in fact, from when we first opened Kalimna, it was obvious that people were going to want to rebook and tell their friends about us. The tourism industry, the attraction from our point of view, I guess, is that you don't need any formal qualifications. You just have to have a, well, perhaps a love of people and feeling of hospitality within yourself and being hospitable to people and with people. And it's been a wonderful journey. Where did it sort of hit you that, uh, I mean, you, you moved from Victoria, you're running a business there? We were dairy farmers for 23 years, so the tourism industry is a far cry from dairy farming. In fact, people have commented, well, it is similar to dairy farming because you're on call all the time, and perhaps that is so, But and we enjoyed our years as dairy farmers, but our two sons were not inclined towards following on their father's footsteps with dairying. They could see that 14 times a week being at a specific spot to milk the cows wasn't for them, and so we decided that it was time for a change, and this is what brought us north. So with tourism, yes, you're on call, but... I guess there's times when you can have a bit of a break if you want to. 
where did it so you didn't actually leave Victoria thinking of doing something like this though this never absolutely really absolutely not yeah, no yeah, this is the was, interesting part how no. it all comes about we yeah. um the idea was that we would build own and build our home and that'd take probably about a year and then we'd head off at infinitum around Australia touring as you do we were well ahead of the the grey nomad scene then in age and as it is now we've almost left our run too late but we got caught up in the tourism industry and really it's it was just something it evolved it's something that people talk about their well, I'll say highfalutin, but they're, they're big business plans. And of course, it's advisable to not go into a business without having careful planning. But Uranda evolved, you know, build one little cottage and then, oh, well, that was pretty easy. That's booking well. Oh, we better build another one of those, which we did. And up until now, which is over 15 years since we've been first started, I mean, the only thing we could say is it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. Of course, there's been times when it's a little bit quiet. Right now, it's quiet. But that's maybe a sign of the times. People are going overseas with the dollar the way it is. and Or perhaps people are just hanging on to their money and not wanting to venture off for weekends away or midweek breaks or one-week holidays. When did it become apparent, obviously, so that you're on a good thing here and, you know, you should take it forward? I honestly believe it was within the first three months of opening Kalimna because as soon as somebody, the the, the first people to book, the second people to book, everybody was wanting to rebook. They were wanting to come back again. So you feel, well, you've got something special if they're, they're doing that and they're also telling their friends... I mean, one thing with tourism is it's very important to track, and that means just being sure you have a fair idea of where people are finding you. It's no good going and spending a whole heap of money in an advertising campaign somewhere that yields no results. We've tried that. I remember distinctly very early in the piece I put an advertisement in an Australian Geographic magazine because obviously people who read Australian Geographic would love the beautiful bush area we've got here. We got one booking. That was a bit of a a lesson. amazing, isn't it? And yet you would still think that that was the case, that people would be wanting to come. Here. It shows you that when people are reading Australian Geographic, they're actually not looking for a holiday. So it's it's interesting to know where you can promote your business. And obviously the best thing is word of mouth, rebooks, and of course a website. Our website's been operative since day one. Our eldest son developed the website and it's really served us very, very well. Everyone who stays here comments on how beautiful the place is, the atmosphere, what it gives them to take home after they've come for a stay for a weekend, say, not long enough, we need to be here longer. This is a fantastic place, the views, the atmosphere, the birds, everything about it they love. Did you, at any stage, did you see that as the, the, the potential draw card for this place or did it sort of just all happen and then you realised how lucky you were? Well, it, it, as I said before, it started with a comment from our neighbour from Karawiri saying you really you know you should consider building a cabin then I thought to myself at that point in time whilst that sounded like a good idea it was also a feeling of we've got 140 acres here with two beautiful rainforest gullies why would we not want to share it now if you want to share something you usually do it um, gratis however at that point in our life to be considering that we might be able to share it and make a small income from it was fairly attractive it is an amazing place. I mean, our family comes here too, and we brought friends here too for that reason, that it is a special place. I mean, you are, I was just saying to Kev before, that you're lucky, but I mean, I know you've worked very hard for it and you've achieved something that's a credit to both of you. It's, it's amazing. But it does fascinate me that people in business can, can operate a place like this and successfully. I mean, people might have this idea that 
yes, we'll do this, let's get it started, and then it might all fall on its backside purely because of mismanagement or it might have been a great idea at the time, but really in hindsight it wasn't. A lot of people just have dreams that they don't really think about that much beforehand, so they get into it and realise that it's just satisfying a, a whim perhaps. Uh, I mean, you've gone from being dairy farmers into a, you know, the, the tourism industry, which is, could be said as being similar, but you know, in a lot of ways it's very, very different. Do you think there's any special skills that you've had to um, acquire to, to keep it going, or, or has it just come very naturally to you? It, it, has, it has tended to come naturally to us, but there's certainly been skills that have had to be honed. For, for instance, my computing skills still aren't too fantastic, but you need to be reasonably competent with computing skills, but also not to, to feel flurried by the fact that you really have to give it 110%. There's no good if an email comes in requesting information or wanting to make a booking and just going, oh, well, I'll do that later. Everything else falls behind so that that can be approached immediately. And many, many times I've had people say, thank you for getting straight back to me. Well, that's customer service. And I think of late I've been hearing some terrible stories, not in the tourism industry, but in some of the major stores where customer service is sadly lacking. And I think that you've got to give to your customers what you would want to expect in a, if, if the tables were turned around. Something I was thinking about then, David, too, is the variation in what we have to, or, or the, why people come here. You and your family come here for, for the reasons you've stated or indicated. We've got people who come here for very different reasons. Quite often it'll be just a single person. We usually channel them, obviously, into the smallest cottage, Kalimna. And quite often they'll park their car and you won't see them for a whole week. They just relax, chill out, as the saying is these days. Reading, just reading, bushwalking. We have naturists who come here. They go bare bushwalking. They're very discreet. They don't go near the other cottages, um, but have a wonderful time. One gentleman in particular is in his 90s, and he comes up from Sydney and goes bare bushwalking. We've got bird watchers, of course. That goes without saying. Photographers, people who want to take macro photos, wonderful tiny little things down by the creek, people who want to explore the area, use this as a base. So they're approaching Uranda from a bit different perspective. So therein, I guess, is the sharing of this property, but with the bonus of making an income from it. One of the things I really wanted to speak with you about was you've obviously had a business that's been running for approximately 15 15 years. years, It's a successful business in your area of expertise in the tourism industry. If someone was thinking about getting into it, with your experience, what would you be able to tell them right down to the tin tax? What advice could you give them if they were thinking of getting into it? Okay, for somebody starting out, if they came to me now and said, look, we've, we've got a million dollars to spend, how will we go about it? We want to get into the tourism industry. Of course, with the current climate, you'd be saying, well, think very carefully about it because there's a lot of tourism businesses that are hurting. I think starting small is imperative. For Kevin and I to be hurting because of any downturn or or the likes is less likely than some of the big resorts where they employ. Kevin and I do every single aspect of this business ourselves. The marketing, cleaning and preparation of the cottages, the laundering, gathering of firewood, mowing of grass, maintenance of bushwalking tracks, every single aspect of it we handle ourselves. Now, if we started employing, for whatever reason, if one of us was ill or something like that, I think it would be very, very difficult to make a profit. For anybody going into it, you would have to say, okay, position, position, position. You have to have something to offer. Now, if we had built these little cottages with their very quaint appearance of rock walls and timber and Kev's attention to detail inside, 
and had plonked them in the middle of a 40-acre paddock with nothing around it. Well, I, I don't know that people would keep on returning. It, it's the position here with beautiful forest around, beautiful rainforest gullies and a creek. The only thing that would make it better would be to have a permanent water source, as in a river, uh, with permanent water flow. The creeks, there's always, I've never seen the creek totally dry, either creek, but they can get down to a bit of a puddle. Obviously, running water is paramount, but then the million dollars I spoke of that these people might have would get used up very, very rapidly if they were, in fact, looking at developing a tourism business on bare land. The thing that comes back to me that's reported on or mentioned by people constantly is the seclusion and privacy of each of the cottages. Now, Uranda consists of two 70-acre titles. The house, Kalimna and Pindari, which in fact we have for sale at the moment, is on one 70-acre title. Now, the house, Kalimna and Pindari, are in totally separate parts of the property, so that when I yell at Kevin... I would like to think that Kalimna guests don't hear me. I think Pindari ones might occasionally, the sound travels uphill. But Allura is on a separate title. It's that division of space where people have got absolute privacy and seclusion that keeps on being mentioned. It was so good not to see anybody else. People have asked, well, can't you put more cottages on the property? For a reason I can explain in a second, yes, um, that, that's negated. But even so, it would kill the goose that laid the golden egg. This is the, the part about this property that's so special is that it's low impact, there's not a lot of people around. At any one time, with cottages fully, fully booked, we would only have 12 people and that's very rare do we ever have totally full house. Allura can sleep six, Pindari four and Kalimna two. One thing that, that I'll mention is that early in the piece, we, well, going back a step further, when we were on the farm in Victoria, we were interested in wild land for wildlife and um, managed to get that status down there. And so we sought that out as well when we came to New South Wales. So we've got wildlife refuge status, it's called here. Then we took it a step further and liaised with national parks for a voluntary conservation agreement on the property. Now, what this actually means is that the property is very, much the same as a privately owned national park. Now, not everybody can receive this recognition. National parks come and survey and look for something that's worthy of conservation. So you can't just get this on any old block of land. What they found here was large fruited grey gum, which is apparently, it's not an endangered species, but it's not something that's very common. So that got us across the line. It also means that we can't develop this any further. So even if someone wanted to buy this property and do that adding of, of additional places, they would not be allowed to on our voluntary conservation agreement. But shire-wise, I would highly doubt that they would be allowed anyway. The voluntary conservation agreement is a, a, an agreement that's in perpetuity on that title, so it can never, ever be changed. It means it can't be logged, it can't be dozed heavily for motorbike tracks or something like that. The reward from the federal government for that um, initiative being followed is that we don't pay any land rates, shire rates whatsoever. Whilst that's attractive, it's not attractive for Dungog Shire itself. I really feel that they should be given the same money as we would have paid in land rates by the federal government, but that's not how it happens. That's also in keeping, of course, with uh, water board and state forests and national parks and religious institutions. None of them pay land rates either. So uh, I guess that's just how it is. Okay, so that's uh, you've you've pretty much said things to be aware of if they if someone wanted to you know start a venture like this. What um, what tricks are there? What things are there to to watch out for in this industry if you were doing your own 
I think keeping, keeping careful records would be something that's important. Obviously, careful purchasing of consumables, whilst that's a minimal detail, if you're buying you know, X number of bales of toilet paper, you don't go into the local supermarket and buy it when it's not on special. You try and be as cautious with your purchasing as possible. Our greatest expense, in fact, is bottled gas. Both Kalimna and Pindari, I didn't explain, operate because of their secluded positions in the property. They're not on the main electricity grid. We opted to go with solar power for both of those cottages and they both operate on two 100 amp hour batteries and the overheads consequently don't really involve an electricity bill as such. Occasional replacement of a battery, that sort of thing obviously has to happen. The gas operates the gas hot water service, gas stove, gas refrigerator and gas barbecues. And so we would go through a gas bottle a month when we're heavily booked or when we're regularly booked. If I was starting out in this industry again, knowing what I know now, I don't know that there's that many things that I'd do differently. Certainly we'd have the division of of the seclusion by the division of the facilities from each other. However, I understand that the Shire regulations indicate they should be built in clusters. I've mentioned to them that really people come to us for the seclusion, they don't want to be building together. There are places where they have four or six cabins in close proximity to each other and obviously it's going to be a cheaper way of Um, constructing in the long term because you could have one very large water tank for instance Uh, whereas we've had individual water tanks for each cottage. Uh, Your septic system being a transpiration area could perhaps be one very large one to cater for the number of cabins you've got whereas for us we have to put in an individual one for each. But that said, I'm still sure that the the feedback from guests is such that you would never do it any differently. I think the paramount thing is having a good website. You know, that's obviously how do people find you. And it's one of the difficulties I'm finding of late. When you, as I was saying about tracking, it's all very well if someone phones and says they want a book and you say, do you mind me asking, where did you hear about us? Oh, Joe Bloggs told me. Well, that's easy. But when they say, oh, I found you on the net, well, how did you find us on the net? How invasive are your questions when you start trying to find out just how they found you on the net? Was it via a Barrington Tops website or was it via some other website where we're mentioned? So that's becoming a little bit more difficult, I've noticed. So I just put down net and know that that's obviously they've got to our website. Another thing that I think is imperative and and most people do it these days is having a vacancy sheet showing on your website that indicates when you are available or when you're not and also quoting your tariffs on the website. A lot of people don't like to put their tariffs or make their tariffs obvious because they feel that if they can only get talking to the people, they'll be able to talk them into it. Well, that's not how I'd want to be treated. I'd want to know that the tariffs are a certain thing and I can either afford it or not afford it. But that's different people operate differently. We've also had, we dabbled a little bit with photographic workshops whereby we had a a friend who was a very good photographer who tutored for photographic workshops. We held about eight of those over about a 12-month period. And the other arm of our business is Sneak Away Bush Weddings, of which we've hosted 51 of those, I think it is now. And they've been a wonderful success. Elopement style, where people who don't want to pay huge amounts of money for a a full-blown wedding, as some people do, are wanting just to come away, get married, maybe have a couple of friends or their immediate family there. And we organise the the celebrant, the wedding cake, all that sort of thing, and tailor certain packages for them. So there's different things you can do. I mean, my thought at the moment, because my husband's very keen on music and is building guitars, would be to have some jamming sessions. I kind of organised something along those lines without Kevin's knowledge, and I'm still not sure. But then I do that all the time, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) But um, I, I think he would enjoy 
that sort of thing too. Yes, it's, it's um, you know, there's the, the sky's the limit. If someone's going into this industry, the first thing is they've got to have something to offer. They've got to be in a position where they think, well, if that was me going to that area, would I be happy? Would I like to pay a tariff to go and stay in a place like that? I think attention to detail, having just spending that little wee bit more on, on your inclusions. And mainly it's the kitchen stuff. Kev and I went somewhere once and I think there were about two teaspoons. Well, it was a place for two people, but two teaspoons and two knives and everything. Well, I think you've got to go a step further than that. And it really doesn't cost that much to kit up a place in a nice way and comprehensively. Is the planning that goes into a place like this? When you were building and developing it, did you did you th- did you nut out all those things? Like Kev was saying to me earlier today, that there was a lot of. I said, look, look at this place, Kev. You've got your workshop out here, and you can you can do what you want. It doesn't matter, rain, hail, or shine. You can look out into this beautiful, this picturesque location. You've got it made. And he said, oh, a little bit of planning went into it, you know. So that's interesting too. From an outsider coming to a beautiful place like this. You go, look at these guys, you know, it's a beautiful place, everything's perfect. You kind of get that impression from an outside, you get the impression it just happens, but obviously it doesn't just happen. There must be some attention to detail, a lot of it, and planning involved. What sort of planning went into it? Well, it's interesting because when we first started in tourism, just with that first cottage, we would say to guests, please tell us if you can see any way we can improve on what we're offering. And one woman said, oh, I don't really, yeah, well, a few more hooks in the bedroom just to hang things on. And Kevin said, oh, I never thought of that. Well, that couple came back again and promptly started calling Kevin Dr. Hook because there were so many hooks. And as he was putting these hooks up, they're really nice decorative ones. Look, he could hang his trousers here. You could hang a, a, a dressing gown on this one. And he had them, see, they're all around the, the um, bedroom in Kalimna. These people were delighted, exactly what they'd suggested. Another lot of guests suggested that perhaps we could consider steak knives. Goodness me, we hadn't thought of that. So quick, smart, we got some steak knives. But the real good one was one gentleman went to tell us and his wife said, no, don't say anything. He said, Ros said to tell her, you haven't got a tea bag squeezer. And he was serious. <laughs> You know, we, you we, must have a tea bag squeezer. You've got to have a tea bag squeezer. Very important. So it was most important. Well, we all thought that he had ten fingers or eight fingers and two thumbs that that would probably suffice. But anyway, that was just you know <laughs> an aside. And yes, you, you get some, you meet some interesting people. This is one of the things that we've enjoyed about it. Is you know, I was saying you, you have to you have to enjoy people. There's no good at being a burden to you if if someone wants to yarn on or whatever. You you have to be prepared to listen. Or if they want to tell you their woes, you've got to be a little bit empathetic. Is it? Yes. So show, show some empathy towards yes. them. But sometimes you might be in a hurry and you don't really want to stop and yarn to them. Well, it's in your own interest to do that. The same, just going a step further is a good way of developing a good rapport with your guests. Whoever buys this business is going to have to perhaps not, re- oh, they, maybe they should read the guest books and see how many times people comment about the local honey, the Anzac bickies and the loaf of bread. Now, what that refers to is that we have a little jar of local honey, which is beautiful and fresh, and everybody raves about it. That's a little gift for our guests when they arrive. The biscuits, half a dozen fresh Anzac biscuits in the uh, Bicky barrels at each cottage. And if they stay three nights, three night stays are rewarded with a loaf of home-baked bread. Now, people seem to be 
absolutely in raptures about that. Now really, it's, it doesn't take much effort, but it does take a little more than just a bottle of champagne and, you know, on arrival. So I think we're, we're on a bit of a winner there and, and people really appreciate that step further that you've gone. So if someone's going into the industry, they really have to have a few little tricks like that. The other thing I never mentioned either, another one of my harebrained ideas that I had was the outdoor shower. Each of our cottages, including our future retirement home at Noonamina, have outdoor showers. Now that's in addition, of course, to inside facilities. I'm not quite sure why they are such a hit. Kalimna and Pindari and Noonamina all are without a roof, they're out in the open. People just love showering out in the open, be it by moonlight or sunlight or starlight or whatever. Everybody has the same comments of how wonderful it is. Now, I'm not sure that it's because it's a little bit risque. It could be. Um, I don't ask whether they both shower together to save on water. I'm not sure. I don't, want to know. I don't need to know. But that said, um, we've had guests who've gone away I had one guest from Sydney who said, I'm going home, I'm going to build one of these at home. And I'm thinking, well, that'll be interesting in suburbia. He sent a photograph, exactly that. And they obviously had a blank wall next to their neighbour's place. And he said, not quite Kev's standard, but we love it and we shower in it all the time. So I guess we might have started some sort of a rage. From um, personal experience, I've got to say, I remember um, a previous uh, stay at Pindari. This is when I noticed that most of all, I had a very late shower outdoors and it was cold and uh, the but the water was hot but I remember looking up into the sky and seeing these lines these white lines going across the sky now the stars were brilliant of course as they always are up here and I couldn't work out what these lines were I thought perhaps they were power lines going across that are, that I could see and maybe the, there was mist or something was creating some effect but it turned out to be the um, jets going across and leaving their stream but of course you don't see that in the day but in the night because everything up here is so clear, so crystal clear that you can see those things. And then next thing, there's another one. I thought I was going insane. Okay, at the outside, shower at Pindari. It's a cold night in July. Well, the water's hot. The atmosphere is excellent. This is one thing that's really got to be experienced when you come to Yoranda. The stars are just amazing. There's billions and billions of stars ahead, overhead and just it's so crystal clear. It's amazing. It's truly a must-do when you come to Yoranda. The design of the shower is quite quite awesome, quite unique. It's a hexagonal shape, probably about six foot across, and there's garden solar lighting around the top. There's a um, soap and shampoo holder inside and uh, a couple of uh, hooks there for various things, plus um, a rubber mat for you to stand on. Quite comfortable. But the view is just incredible. This view is awesome. And the atmosphere, as I said, second to none. Standing here you look up one side towards the cottage, the other way you've got just bush and above crystal clear sky. 
that water's hot. And it's a brisk walk back to the cottage. It's amazing once you get into the shower under the hot water, you don't feel that cold air anymore. It's quite comfortable. But it is an experience that you need to you need to have. I think it would be certainly another experience if you had this shower when it was raining. That would also be awesome. Hot water coming down over you amongst the cold water. That would be quite an experience, I would imagine. Now that I'm dry, brisk walk back into the cottage where the fire is burning warmly. And that is another yeah. thing that guests will comment on, is the clearness of the skies, the night it's sky. It's incredible. No light pollution, and, you know, that's, that's a fabulous thing. I've even had guests feel foolish by saying, oh, my God, you've got more stars here than we've got in Sydney, and then go, oh, oh, well, we can see them here. Yes, it's yeah. a, certainly a, a selling point. And just going back to your business operations, Rose, what about marketing? What, what have been the best marketing tools that you've found what's the best way for this type of industry do you think to market without doubt that the um having your own a good website Mm. um definitely i I had a feeling that entering and hopefully doing well in the tourism awards which are run at a local or a regional level first then state level then national level that that might be a boost to business we actually won at regional level and then went on to state and won at state level and then went nationally and that was only the one time that I that we did so well but the, the for, for the amount of effort that had to go into that submission it just wasn't worth it as far as that if, if you're going for accolades well then obviously it helps I don't know if I was on the other side of the the um, case and looking at it and saying well I want to go to some nice place would I go to a place that won all these awards See, it depends on, some people do, obviously. That's what they're looking for is award-winning places. And if that's the case, well, perhaps I've missed some opportunities. But, you know, there's there's people who work very, very hard at their submissions and I admire them. But with a Darby and Joan team, team as we had, you've got to work out where your time is best spent. I would prefer personally to put that time into going with a couple of guests who want to do a bushwalk. I mean, I've, I've guided guests on bushwalks before and I don't charge for that. I mean, it's my pleasure as well. And, well, maybe it takes some time, but... That's an enjoyable thing and it's, it always it pays dividends. People come back and they tell their friends, so that's an important thing. But there's, there's lots of ways of marketing a business like this because if, going back to that scenario of someone just starting out, how does anybody know about them? And also, you can have the best website in the world, but do people know to key in Y-E-R-A-N-D-A into Google? Of course they don't, unless they've been led to that point by something else. Our brochure, printed brochure, has always held us in good stead as well. Over the years, we've had... We started out with just a little simple brochure, I think, that my son designed and just printed it off yourself. And then we went to a professional brochure and just put a tariff insert inside that, which because it varies from, from year to year or from 18 months to 18 months when we have a slight increase. The, the brochure has been an important part of our marketing. Locally, we used to have our tourism association had visitors' guides and that was something that was 
added to our marketing chances. Also through the local tourism association and through the actual, through the, the um, Barrington Tops, which is a joint venture with Gloucester Tourism and Dungog Tourism, we had a time where a media company drove a campaign and it was at a point in time when I was chairperson of the local group. And the ones who went on board for this marketing campaign, they had, we had to pay $500, which doesn't sound much now, but this is a good 10 years ago. Uh, it was quite a bit of money at the time. And the ones, the players who put up their hands were the five resorts in the area. And I came home to Kevin and said, look, I really feel we should be on board with this. It's going to cost us 500 but I really think we should. Well, that was the most wonderful result from that. They invited journalists to come to the area on a tour and they stayed at various places including our place and then they went back to the city and wrote up about their experiences and sang the praises of the Barrington Tops. That just worked amazingly well for us. The greatest response was through an article in the NRMA magazine where I think we got in excess of 60 bookings. That's just phenomenal for a small business. I mean maybe for the big players where they've got multiples of houses on their their resort 60 bookings perhaps that's not a huge win for them but for us I mean it, it we were taking bookings so far ahead it was just unbelievable the phone would ring you'd pick it up you'd make a booking and those people would come and then they'd book again so the whole thing developed the other interesting point that is sort of swaying around a little bit we're talking about repeat business last weekend we had a couple who stayed with us and that was the 31st booking that that lady had made here 31 times she has been here and not only that she has introduced others to us one couple who come annually for their wedding anniversary in Pindari have been 12 times I mean it's almost like a big family tree spreading out from this one person what sort of value do you put on a guest who is so keen as to come back here that many times I mean it's just it's astounding now I don't know whether other properties have the same thing happen I'm not sure I'm, I'm sure they do and there's other guests who've been in excess of 10, 15 times. Just amazing. And they're the sort of people they go elsewhere as well. It's not that they're just devoted to Uranda and that's the only place they go to. They travel overseas. They're, they're people who enjoy weekends away or midweek stays. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing thing that you can get someone who wants to come back for that many times. It's incredible. I mean, it is a beautiful place. And, I mean, we get back here as often as we can. We really do when we can. It's just um, it's our, uh, it's the place we come to, as a lot of the other people say in the books do, like to rejuvenate and recharge the batteries and then head back for normality for <laughs> You know, again, yeah. what's, what's you know, normality? Well, what That's is normality? Yeah. <clears throat> Rose, what about the bad times in business? You've um, did did you have you suffered any bad times throughout your business life, or is it all all been reasonably reasonably good? Overall, generally speaking, I'd have to say it's been it's been pretty good. Of course, when you get to the point where you've had in excess of probably thirty one hundred bookings, you have to know that there's times where you'll have people who don't appreciate what you've got. Bringing to mind are probably no more than six bookings where if I kept a black book, those people would never ever get in the door again. That's, you know, try and put a percentage on six out of 3,100. I mean, it's just so infinitesimal, it doesn't matter. Bad times are probably... Even in your previous business ventures, did you... Oh, God, did you... let's think of it, you know. Do you want to get up at... You want to get up at five in the morning with the frost on the grass and you touch the metal gates to get the cows in and it's freezing cold or you've got to 
difficult calving and or a cow's down with milk fever and and you end up having to shoot her or something I mean they're they're tough times Victoria totally different to here wet mm. winters and and dry summers usually but it's the climate's changed there's certainly some variations but oh no I mean and we always say now well generally speaking we enjoyed our time as dairy farmers but if you really tear it apart in your mind and think back to those cold cold mornings where or well, the middle of the night where you've got a cow that's you know has started to calve when you check them late at night maybe 11 o'clock you go around the herd and you close up carvers in the nursery paddock and then you turn around and go back out again at two in the morning and no she still hasn't moved any further so you have to bring her in from the paddock into the bales and then mm. then the fun starts yeah. and how many years did you do that for 23 yeah it's 23 a long time. years it is a long time and that wasn't working for ourselves all the time we started out working for wages and then graduated to working for shares on a share basis and then returned to the family farm and then worked on a share basis with my mother-in-law and then we purchased the farm from her and then that that farm was one of 30 it had been in the family for 37 years and of course it was a hard decision to relinquish it but given that um, our sons weren't interested in carrying it on and there weren't any other members of the family who were so it was almost with a little bit of sadness the same exactly the same we we're ready to move on to the next chapter in our life from here which is moving down the road five kilometers down the valley but you know I'm excited about that prospect but then I, I lay in bed sometimes and look at our beautiful ceilings that we've timbered and everything and think I'm really going to miss this place and I will because you know there's a lot of love goes into a place that you take four years to build and seeing that so much of it was done by Kevin that you know you, you can't help you, you know I'll be sad mm. I will be sad and understandable I mean, from our point of view too, we would, um, I mean, we're not here every day and we're not doing it every day and we haven't been doing it for that like you have either for so many years. But even we comment regularly on how hard it must be for you guys to actually go, you know. I mean, it's hard for your guests too because they're so used to you and you and Kev are one of the reasons why we like coming here so much. You know, it's not just a location. Yeah. I mean, you make Oh, that's everyone... very, very kind of no, you. No, but, but... You, you make everyone yeah. welcome and you're yeah. fun people and you, you, you know, you've got everyone's best interest at heart. I mean, it's, you, you know, so it's a good place to come and, you know, and, and that, I think that's part of the reason why people like getting out of the city to come here too because you well, get it that... Could, it may well be, but, yeah. you know, I think that... Um... Well, the atmosphere is the whole thing. It's not just the location. It's and, what you put into it as well. You know, expectations. I mean, I don't know what people expect. You know, they've They've looked at the photographs of the place. They've, they've. We, we don't, we don't have a testimonials section on our website because I always feel that what would you put there? You'd pick out the best comments, obviously. But there is a testimonial section on Beautiful Accommodations website for us and people are adding to that, which is, there's some kind comments there. But I think that, generally speaking, people's expectations are, are more than met when they come here and they are happy with that seclusion, the, the privacy, the attention to detail, all of the catchphrases that you'll see in the, in the guest books. And... Uh, that was something people said, you know, are you going to keep the guest books? And I said, oh, I presume they would go with the with the business. But I'll be going through them and, and scanning some of the entries that come to mind, some beautiful poems that people have written. Some, some amazing sketches. artwork. Yeah, oh, the sketches are sketches incredible. People have done. There's some very, very talented people around. And yet, you know, it's interesting. Not everybody writes in the guest book. I found that rather amazing because I thought, you know, you'd always jot a little note and there were people there, new people recently, who really raved to me about the place. And I thought, oh, I wonder what they wrote in the guest book. Nothing. They weren't. They either forgot or they aren't guest book people. Yeah. Some people don't put pen to paper. Yet then that said, we had people from Warrnambool who stayed here recently and I received an email after she got home with a, the most beautiful poem that she'd written 
and had finished off at home and sent to me and asked me that I print it out and put it in the guest book, which I'll be doing. That's just different people have different approaches to how they want to, what, what they want to leave behind them at a place. I think it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that if you're affecting people in such a way that they'll write a poem or, you know, draw a sketch or, I mean, you get it Maybe sent to Maybe they were bored while they were here. <laughs> Well, that's why you come here, to get bored, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I suppose that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I was just wanting to go back and, and certainly not wanting to pry into your personal business at all, but as far as um, when, I, when I asked you about difficulties in your business, what about financial difficulties? Has there been any times that you ever had those? And if you did, how did you get through them? Or have you always been pretty much on top of things and you, know, you could see when things were getting tight and yeah. you, did you have control of that? Um, well, we were, I guess we were in a fortunate position. When we sold the farm, we paid our debts, the loan we had to the rural group we'd borrowed from to, to buy the, the property. We paid that debt off and came up here with, I wouldn't say a bucket full of money. If it was a bucket full of money, it was a very small bucket. But we certainly had enough. We, we weren't own a building in order to achieve that project at the cheapest possible level. Now, quite often with owner builders, and you, you can see it if you read owner builder magazines, people do it, you know, they get into this mud brick idea, for instance, which I love, mud brick, it's beautiful. But they do it because it's the cheapest way they can put a roof over their head, and I admire that. But we weren't in that position where we had to skimp on things, like Kev had, has purchased exceptional tools and things to do this job, and he's, he's built it to a sturdy, good, strong construction and we haven't skimped on things. It's not luxurious by any means, but it's but the money was there. The same with the cottages. We didn't have to borrow to do it. Fortunate maybe, but that's how it's panned out. We have borrowed money to buy our next place, Nunamina down the valley, and this is the only time we've been in a position where, well, you could say the screws are on us a little bit, I suppose, that we're really wanting to achieve the sale of this property in order to make our move down to Nunamina and to semi-retire and just operate Allura. Um, that's the big grand plan is to keep Allura so that there is a reason to get up in the morning and, and keep going. And it's also because we enjoy tourism so much. People have said, oh, so you want to move to Nunamina because you're sick of tourism. Not at all. Well, why move to Nunamina? It's because for various reasons. We want to downsize. You know, I'm nearly 66 and Kev's 65 and it's time to go and see a little bit of Australia and do some of the things that all of our guests do. Maybe have a trip or two overseas. It's the, the thing that if you leave it too much longer and something happens to one of us, the other won't go and do what the two plan to do as it stands now. That's an obvious thing. And so with that in mind, probably the biggest crunch time financially, as you're asking, and I'm happy to say it, is probably right now where we owe money on Nunamina and it'd be nice to clear that debt. In the past, we've run the bucket pretty dry. That's what it amounts to. But with that said, we've still been able to earn money from what we've got here. Yeah, so no, we've, we've felt financially secure, but certainly not wealthy but wealthy in other ways, wealthy in where we live and wealthy in the, the friends we've made and that sort of thing, for sure. Mm. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's very interesting. Sometimes, from our perspective, things can always be different, really, to what it actually is. What is the truth isn't always what meets the eye, is it, with business? You've got to be careful. You've really got to research well and you know, make sure you, you really know what you're getting into and is there a market there for what you're doing? And, yeah. and that, that, that's true because... Since we started in tourism here, I don't have the facts and figures in front of me or even in my mind, but I know there have been many, many little tourism ventures in the Dungog area where what it's been is somebody's had a little farmer's, co you know, a farm cottage on their property or the old dairy that they've done up, that sort of thing, and they've put it into tourism. Now, that was mainly because they thought there was 
you know, oh, there's big dollars in tourism. Look at all the visitors that are around and the, the local paper plays it up pretty well that there's lots of visitors here for Easter. Easter is only one weekend in a year. There's another 51 in the year where if you're talking weekends, I mean, I attended a trade show once in Sydney and I was chatting to a woman who had a B&B in the Blue Mountains and she told me, she asked me what our occupancy rate was and I was open about it and I said, oh, we're probably at about... At that point in time, we're about 70%. And she said, oh, 70%. She said, I'm about 98%. And I said, 98%? That's really extraordinary. I said, that's um, 365 days of the year. Oh, no, she said, weekends. So her perception of occupancy rate was that that's what you count as just the weekends. The weekends only. And I said, no, but it's truly, I said, it's all the year round. Occupancy, if you quote your occupancy, it's for the whole of the year. Like midweek bookings, oh, I've had one midweek booking once. Well, you know, that's a different story. Different story. Mm. But she was happy with, but see, for her, she was probably very, very pleased. She probably didn't need the money. It was just an interest. And this is what's happened in the Dungog area. From time to time, people put something into, into, um, into being as a tourism venture because really it's an interest. And then you find that the poor old visitor information centre phones those people to find out whether or not they've got a vacancy for tonight. Well, everybody's entitled to be off shopping. Leaves a message on their answering machine and two days later they respond. That's not the sort of tourism you need. That's not the sort of people you want in the industry because they immediately drag the industry down. I mean, the person who was wanting to make the booking has to be responded to by the information centre who said, well, look, I'm really sorry, but those people haven't got back to me yet. Oh, it's okay. I'll wait till tomorrow. So you wait till tomorrow and there's still been no response. I mean, they're part-timers. They're not serious contenders in the industry. And that's one of the hardest things, is getting serious contenders. You need people who are devoted to it, who want to really have a go, who are prepared to give it their all. If you haven't got that, well, then what have you got? I mean, no different to what I was saying about customer service in some of the bigger places. You you can't make a success of a business if you're half-hearted. And yet, I suppose you're all entitled to your time off. When we go away either take well I always if we're at distance going away for family reasons or whatever the laptop's with me I'm able to monitor emails coming in and respond when I had a holiday at Lord Howe Island when I had a holiday at Christmas Island both of those islands ended up with me lugging the the computer so that I could still drive the business from there not really a holiday at that rate I know but was better than nothing no you have to be wholehearted you've got to be 100% devoted to what you're doing and if you're not going to do that get out (laughs) It's as simple as that because you're not going to be successful. You're not going to be enjoying it yourself. It's going to be a, a burden to you. And where's the pleasure in that? There's not. What about the um, the partnership that you've got with Kev in the business? He Obviously, he's played a very important part in it. I mean, oh, I know you Kev, both have because yeah. you've been... No, Kev's role in this business has been absolutely amazing. Kev's a person who, as a dairy farmer, if you're going to be a successful dairy farmer, you can't afford to get the plumber out from town to do a bit of plumbing or the electrician out even though you should you know you have to be a jack of all trades and you've got to do it properly now Kev's a real handyman his um, maintenance of the cottages is just second to none I'd say his role in the whole show is the maintenance the cleaning the kitchen is Kevin's domain when we clean we share that chore we have our own little areas of expertise but the kitchen when people come to us and they see the stove at Kalimna and it's 15 years old and then they look at the stainless steel saucepans and see them gleaming that's all to do with Kev that's not me that's Kevin gathering of the firewood for the log fires for the cottages we jointly do the mowing we jointly do but the building I mean obviously Kev was you know heavily heavily we we're both heavily involved with the, the building of the cottages and uh, and enjoyed it. it was a challenge i mean but now that was admittedly that was back 15 13 and 
whatever the other number was years ago. Consequently, we're ready for a, a little bit of a slowdown and, and ease back a bit. All we need now is that elusive buyer. <laughs> so just looking back, Roz, if you, um, when, when it comes time to hang up the hat and say, that's it, we're not running a business anymore, or even from now, like if you just gave it all away today, what, looking back, what would you say were the high points and the low points in your career? And also, um, would you do anything differently? The high points, without any shadow of doubt, are the number of friends we've made within instrumental from the business. People that I would feel very confident we would have a greater connection with than just the annual Christmas card level. And obviously because of the ease of emails. But I'm sure that when we finish here that there's a great big number of people that will keep in some sort of contact. It won't be on a weekly basis, but it might be on a three-monthly basis of some sort of a blog or something that there'll be a contact. Certainly that would be the high point. The reliable income we've got for our needs, it hasn't been massive, but it's certainly been enough that we've been able to do things with it. The the low points, the, the disappointing times with those half a dozen grotty, 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 grotty cleans. Because, not because it was hard work, but just to think that somebody didn't respect our place any more than that. I've heard reports from the big resorts that that's what often happens. But we feel that our tariffs have been quite reasonable and I wonder if in fact that the big resorts where people are paying an arm and a leg to stay in a place, they feel they've got the right to just leave a huge mess. Maybe that's their, the way they think of it or their perception of it, but I, I don't know. I, I can't account for what those ones were that we had. But that was a, a low point. And, you know, it shouldn't be an issue, but it's just disappointing that people felt that they couldn't be a bit more respectful, probably, and you wonder what they're like in their own homes, and they're probably just as grotty. I don't know. So um, you, what you're saying is you've, you think that they, they feel because they're paying they have every right to yes, treat I think, it like well, that. Well, what else, what, for what other reason is mm. it? You know, it has to be something like that. They either think that they were ripped off, that they were paying too much or something. I, I, I honestly don't know. There you go. I really can't think of any low points. Perhaps the fact we're tied down, that you could perhaps deem that a, a but that's not really a low point. But I guess no. if you really love what you're doing and you enjoy it, oh, I mean, well, it's not really a problem, a, is it? It's not a real drag. No. no. Definitely not. You know, I wonder if I had my time over again, would I do the same thing? I, I think I would. I'm, well, I'm sure I would. I'm sure I would. It's just something that we've enjoyed doing and will, and hopefully, if our plan reaches its fruition of selling this side of the road and keeping Allura, that we'll probably have a few more years yet of enjoying um, hosting people to this beautiful area and sharing the 70 acres that we've got on that side of the road with them. I see no reason why not. I mean, I even have a few daydreams about, you know, running some guided tours, that sort of thing. Just And then, then you get into the insurance side of things. See, we haven't touched on that. There, there was that time where there was a huge hoo-ha about insurance absolutely crippling the, the horse riding industry. And it did. Um, insurance went up considerably. But somehow ours remained at a, a level that we felt was quite fair and reasonable. It wasn't outrageous. It was a lot of money, but not not outrageous. I mean, we've got possibilities for people to have tumbles here, and the only thing we've ever had is that one guest bent over and his back gave way, but I don't think it, it would have happened at home anyway. It was not resultant from being here at Uranda. I don't think we haven't had... Oh, no, I'm sorry, there was a gentleman who... I suppose it ended up being a sprained ankle because it wasn't broken, and Kev went on the tractor and... went with the tractor and carry all and carted him home again. One other thing I didn't touch on, when we first built Kalimna, we designed it in keeping with the Australian standards for mobility limited people. So it's got um, access for wheelchairs, etc. And that's a, that's a tough market because 
you're always feeling you haven't done enough to actually give them that little bit extra. We ramp the outdoor shower there and our wheelie friends who come, um, there's a couple of them now who return regularly, use the outdoor shower and love it. I think that you know, you get different degrees of, I'll call it disability, which is not politically correct, but of limited mobility. It can be someone who's just had a knee replacement or a hip replacement or something like that, or you can have a full-blown quadriplegic, paraplegic situation. They're, they're very humbling people. We had one guy who stayed here by himself because he was going around the area lecturing to the kids in the schools about the pitfalls of carelessness and what can happen. And... Uh, he came back with his wife and said, right, we're going to go down to the creek. I thought, how on earth will he get down to the creek? Well, he did. He got down to the creek. She had to hold his legs up and he pushed himself along on his bottom with his hands, very strong in his upper body, which he deemed he was fortunate. And then Kev went down with the tractor and brought him back up on the tractor because going back uphill would have been a lot tougher. And, you know, just a, a person, th these are people who are inspirational. They're the sort of people that you can't help but just be in awe of. We had... The fellow who's been on Australian Story stayed here, or actually a couple of Australian Story people have stayed here. He, he and his wife do the talking circuit. He's from up northern New South Wales. He's got a farm up there and he's learning. He's actually in the throes of getting his helicopter licence and uh, that was a car accident situation. We had, often people will read through the guest book and say, you've had such and such stay here. And you go, yes, yeah, how do you know them? Oh, they live next door to my cousin or something. And they're not famous people, but we did have a chap from out west of Sydney somewhere, Penrith or something like that, named Bob Hawke. And everybody wanted to know for a short time after that, which bedroom did Bob Hawke have? Well, it wasn't the Bob Hawke they were thinking of. It was a different Bob Hawke. <laughs> but we have had, we've had uh, a few famous people, if you put it like that, high-profile people who've stayed, and they've enjoyed it. But, yeah, but, the, but the, the common person's the one who keeps coming back, and they're the ones that, that we uh, are friends with. Excellent. So, Ros, just uh, I guess to wrap it up, really, overall, what, what sort of advice could you give someone that was looking at coming into this industry? If someone came to me and said they were wanting to get into tourism, I would say, as I'd said before, they've got to have the right position, they've got to have something to offer. If you want to be successful, you want people to say, I'd want to go back there because it could be for the seclusion of the cottages, it could be for the, the absolute wonderful building or, or the facilities that they add. See, some people ask, do you have a spa bath? No, we don't have spa baths because we're on rainwater and we wouldn't be able to you know, use that much water. Well, they might go somewhere else or if you convince them that the um, outdoor showers are pretty good fun and they find out that they are in fact better than a spa anyway, that's fine. But you, you have to have some points of difference. You've got to try and come up with something a little bit quirky, something a little bit different. We've also got outdoor loos that have got glass panels looking to the bush. Something a little bit different like that, that can, that, that's away from the run of the mill. I mean, you can go online and look for accommodation and short-term accommodation or something, and there's hundreds of places out there, and they've probably all, all got their wonderful points. So why is someone going to choose your place over the next? Maybe it's because it's been recommended to them, or maybe there's something there that appeals that it might be bird watching, and you're a bird watcher. Well, you know, you have to um, be able to offer something that people are looking for. But if I was giving advice, I'd say be sure you're going to be happy with being tied down, or if you're very, very well healed, perhaps you can have somebody who does the cleaning for you and doesn't make it that it's such an arduous task being in, in tourism as it is for us. But we enjoy it, so it really doesn't matter. So positives of operating a business like this, what would they be? 
being your own boss, obviously. That's a, that's a big plus. I would hate to ever work for someone again. I worked for the Department of Agriculture for 15 years in Victoria and whilst I also enjoyed that job, I don't know that I'd ever want to, well it's too late now, I wouldn't be going back to work at my age, but I don't know that I'd want to work for anybody again. I think just being our own boss and the reality is if we desperately wanted to have a break on our vacancies calendar on the web, you would just make it appear that it was booked. And if you were you and Michelle and the family were wanting to come here and you looked on the web, well, it's no good asking us about those dates because they're already booked. Mm. Um, there are ways that you can do it subtly. People don't think you have a right to have a holiday, I suspect. I don't know that for sure. But if you just said, well, look, we're closing up shop now, but we want to come during that time, well, okay, sorry, we're not going to be there. But if you have it that it appears that it's been booked to someone else, they'll be accepting of that. You, you could do it that way. You could block out and have a bit of a holiday if you wanted to recharge your own batteries depending on what your commitments are. If you own the place and, and uh, you can do that, well, it's probably a jolly good idea. Selecting the right time to do that or where to go and all of that's just up to the individual. Okay, and negatives. What would the negatives be about having a business like this? Well, the negatives probably are the fact that you're, you're, you're tied down. That would be the, the negative, is that you are, in fact, if you're going to do it properly, you're, you're tied down. Well, I, I can't say that dealing with the public has been a real, real big issue. I mean, anybody who, once they get here, there's certainly, there's been very few issues. Not even one springs to mind. But perhaps dealing with people on the phone, sometimes that can be a bit painful, but, well, it's minimal. So minimal. I mean, what, what industry or career or job are you going to be in where it's all 100% perfect? I don't think there's such a thing. wouldn't matter who you were or what, what you were doing. But working for yourself is obviously, well, maybe because Kevin and I have always done that except for my bit of time of working off the property. And maybe a downside is sometimes that, the, that it's husband and wife working together. Kevin's lucky. He's got his workshop he can escape to. I mean, there's times where I'm in the house or off bush or something and Kevin and I won't see each other for six or eight hours because he's over in the workshop doing whatever he's doing over there, building a, another guitar or tinkering with something, whereas I'm off in the bush or I'm here on the computer or whatever. So perhaps that wouldn't suit everybody. It just depends. I mean, we've always worked together on the farm and we're accustomed to that. So there's not too many downsides. If people want to contact you for any reason, Ros, what, um, how, well, what's the, the best way? The easiest, quickest way would be, to, if, without even rattling off a website, it'd be to Google Uranda, go to our website, make contact via that method. It's just the, the best way of doing it, I guess, short of making a phone call, but I'd say the website's the go, so either Google Uranda, Y-E-R-A-N-D-A, and you're there. And the thing is, if we sold tomorrow, whoever is going to take this over... I'm sure will be similar to Kevin and I and they would welcome anybody who wants to come and visit. Well, thanks, Roz. Thank you very much for your time. I've been speaking with Roz Runciman from um, Uranda, which is classed as... Roz, what do you call this? What type of accommodation? It's um, um, self-contained accommodation. Yeah. And the business name is actually Uranda at Barrington Tops and that was another marketing thing to go with that name because it comes up high in the profile. On, because on the of the draw of yeah, Barrington, Barrington Tops. Yeah. Tops yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, Roz, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. I Thank appreciate it. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. it very much. Thank you.